If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health issues, please speak up and seek help. We'll link resources in our show notes below. Now, on to Deja's story. Welcome to Flame Bears, the women athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. I'm your host, Jamie. In this episode, we speak with 24-year-old gold medalist Deja Young about shoulder dystocia and mental health. We begin by talking about what it was like growing up with shoulder dystocia, chat about how she got into running, and explore Deja's ongoing battles with mental health, including her attempted suicide. We end with Deja's choice to be an outspoken advocate for mental health issues and her offer to be there for others so they never feel alone. I don't want anyone to feel like they're alone. And so I'm always constantly beating that into people because it's like, hey, like you deserve to live. Your life is important. I hear you. I see you. You're not alone. I'm Deja Young. I am a Paralympic track and field athlete for Team USA. I was born in Mesquite, Texas, Texas girl. I love Texas. And then I went to Wichita State for four years and I graduated from Wichita State. Now I reside in San Diego, California. Deja's path to the Paralympics has been unique to say the least. She was born with shoulder dystocia, a condition that causes nerve damage and limited mobility in her right shoulder. What caused this condition was really shocking. My mom weighed about like 110 pounds when she got pregnant with me. And I was a nine pound baby. (laughs) So I should have been a C-section, but by that point my mom had already pushed, my head was already out and I had the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck and I was blue. And so the doctor was at this point panicking. And back in the nineties, I believe, like they signed waivers where it said like they could use tongues or not tongues to pull on the head of a child if they're stuck. So mom's like, absolutely not using tongs on my baby's head. You're not squishing my child's head. So instead he used his hands and he pulled my head really hard and tore all the nerves in my neck and in my shoulder and proceeded not to tell my parents. So six months after I was in development, my arm turned purple and my mom was like, oh, something's definitely wrong with my baby. Something's not right. And so I went to the doctor and they diagnosed me with brachial plexus. Brachial plexus, also known as shoulder dystocia, is often caused when an infant's neck is stretched to the side during difficult deliveries. It occurs in about one and a half out of every 1,000 live births. My parents felt like this guilt of thinking like they did something wrong. And then like at that point, it was like, oh, okay, we didn't do anything wrong. So it's like a breath of fresh air. And I was like, okay. We ended up having to sue the hospital because it was obviously malpractice and neglect. What's really scary is that mothers don't always know that they have options or what those options even are. Here's Deja's mom. My name is Delora Young, and I'm Deja Young's mom. They tried to tell me that it happened in utero. And I'm like, how does a baby injure herself inside of my womb? That just doesn't happen. And so she had her first surgery which at a great hospital, Scottish Rites, which is a Shriners Hospital. But then we were referred to a Houston hospital which actually works only on shoulder dystocias. 
And so we went to a hospital. Like I said, there were just children in a whole wing of the hospital that were injured when they were born, like collarbones broken. And it, it was just, it was great for her to see other children that were like her. And that was the first time it ever happened. She was like six years old when that happened. And she was like, she just couldn't believe that this was, you know, that there were other kids like her and that it really wasn't anything wrong with her. Deja's condition didn't hold her back in sports growing up. She competed in volleyball, softball, and track throughout high school, ranking number 12 in Texas in the 200, which is where she discovered her love for speed. So my parents put me on every sport known to man. They just let me just do what I wanted to do and play sports and just be a kid. My parents raised me as you're the same as everyone else. So that had its upside and had it like its downfall because I was like, oh, like, okay, I'm like everyone else. And then I got into the world where I was like, oh, no, I'm not. I am not like everyone else. I have these struggles and it was tough. Deja doesn't like the term able-bodied because of what it means for those with quote unquote disabled bodies. I don't use able-bodied. I don't like that term. Like, why am I more able? I can tie my shoe. I bleed the same way you do. So it makes you more able than me. It doesn't make sense. So I like to use traditional athletes and non-traditional athletes. So traditional athletes do things traditionally, like they live the traditional way. But as a Paralympic athlete, I have to modify a lot of things. So instead of using a regular squat rack, I use a safety bar rack for my shoulder. So it's like I do it in a non-traditional way, but I'm still squatting maybe more or just the same amount as you are, but just in a different way. Mrs. Young shared that growing up, they told Deja she was different but that different didn't mean that there was something wrong with her. We always treated her as if, I mean, we told her she was different from others, but there was nothing wrong with her. When applying for colleges, it was the recruitment process that first exposed Deja to discrimination as a non-traditional runner. I didn't realize it was like discrimination because I didn't realize I had the ADA behind me. I didn't realize I had all these other resources because I was just... It was so new to me. And so my mom basically did all of my recruiting for me. Like she filled out all the questionnaires. Shout out to my mom. She's the reason why I got recruited. When Deja says the ADA, she's referring to the American with Disabilities Act, the Civil Rights Act of 1990, prohibiting discrimination based on disability. The legislation has been invaluable for what it changed. When President George H.W. Bush signed the law in 1990, it guaranteed new protections for work, education, access, and transportation, among other rights. Mrs. Young had to deal with rude parents and fans in the stands, but the clock spoke for itself when Deja always smoked all the competition. We've had to have words with people in the stands at track meets because you would hear whispers and people talking about, oh, that's the girl who runs funny. And, you know, you never know who you're sitting around. And so we would have to actually confront people in the stands and say, okay, say what you want, but watch this. And it always came my will. She never disappointed. I think I went on three or four visits. I went on two official official visits and like one unofficial visit. And all the like the two coaches I went to and they were like, I can't fix it. I don't want it. Or you can be a walk on. And I was just like, this sucks. And then I think it, it was my senior year. My coach was awesome. He was, he was like another dad. He was so amazing. And every time I tried to quit from being bullied or tried to quit because it just got too hard because of my arm, he'd be like, oh, I'll see you at practice tomorrow. 
One day at practice, I was sitting and talking to my high school coach and another coach overheard me talking and he had the audacity to say, why would anybody want to recruit you with your arm? It's never going to happen. And at that point, I just wanted to quit. I went home crying. My mom was so upset. And fortunately, that same month, Wichita State contacted me. So I went on an official visit to Kansas and I absolutely fell in love. And after my visit was done, they talked about a full ride and everything. I was on the track and I was talking to Coach Wise and he was like, what leg of the relay would you want to run? I was like, well, I can only run second leg or fourth leg because I can't take the baton in my right hand. I explained to him my arm situation. He goes, oh, I don't care about that. Your times don't lie. You look like a great athlete. And he was like, congratulations. We welcome you to Wichita State. Like, we want to give you a full ride. It was such an amazing moment and I became a Wichita State shocker. And the college coach who told me that if I can't fix it, I don't want it, ran against her team and we outbeat them by far. And I was like, I just made it to nationals. And you literally told me that I would never be here and I could be a walk-on. And that was like the sweetest feeling in the entire world. But as the pressures of competing and school started to mount, Deja's mental health took a turn for the worse. My sophomore year of college, I was a pro athlete and a college student. And so those two mixing together was really hard. Juggling, study hall, practice, social life, like everything all together on top of traveling overseas in my first world championship. And I just completely spiraled. It was horrible. I was pre-med at the time. I was in OCHEM. I was miserable. <laughs> like everything just seemed to like suck. And I felt like no one's understanding where I was coming from because... I'm an athlete. Everyone's like, oh, we have everything you need. You're on Team USA. You have a full ride scholarship. You have your books paid for. You have your school paid for. So why are you sad? Like, you have no reason to be sad. And so like that stigma really like stuck with me for a really, really long time. That stigma is like athletes are not human. We train 24-7. We eat healthy. Like we're, we're supposed to be perfect human beings. And we're like, we're not. We still break. We still have our breakdowns. We're still having emotions. We're not robots. That stigma is so hard to break. While many of us put these seemingly superhuman athletes up on pedestals, in reality, they have breaking points like the rest of us. I think my breaking point was just, I couldn't breathe at that point. It was the end of the semester. I didn't have a good like sophomore season. I had a great freshman year. And so I was kind of on this pedestal of like, you have to perform just as good as you did. Your freshman year should be getting better, not worse, or staying stagnant. And I was, I just completely flopped at outdoor conference championships. And it was just like, at that point, I was so exhausted and so tired and I was expected to be ready to compete. So I just completely broke and there was like no way out. And it was just like, I, I, I just, I had to like, find help and the way I found help was not the best way to find help but unfortunately I ended up in a mental hospital. Here's Mrs. Young. When her actual suicide attempt happened I had just spoken with her within like a half an hour and and I was notified by a, a high school friend of hers that she just wasn't she didn't seem herself when she talked to her and I'm like she's just fine I just spoke with her and so I called her while her, while her friend was still at her house and I said, you know, Paige thinks that you're not doing well. And she says, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And like an hour later, I get a call from a paramedic. And it's like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? So it's important for her to let people know that it's okay not to be okay and to ask for help. I think she's trying to keep people from making the same mistake that she made. And I'm not saying that her decisions were wrong. I mean, you know, everybody goes through something, so I'm not blanking her for it. 
I think she just wants to help as many people not get to the point that she got to. Deja isn't alone in this feeling. Most of the athletes I've spoken with have also expressed the feeling of not truly being seen and that it's hard to be an elite athlete and show weakness. To find out more about this, I asked Professor Rosemary Purcell, the head of elite sports and mental health at the University of Melbourne. I think there's a tendency to look at athletes and that includes para-athletes as kind of these paragons of physical strength and prowess. And we tend to forget that they're just humans like the rest of us. They're vulnerable to stuff going on in their life, relationship breakdowns, general stress. And I think it would really help if people could think of athletes as as just humans, vulnerable to um, all sorts of, of issues that can impact their mental health, rather than that, that notion that they should be tough and they should be able to, to cope with these sorts of issues. I think once we have that understanding, um, it starts to shift the whole conversation around mental health. Thankfully, Deja got the help she needed. At one point, I didn't think I deserved to live. I didn't think I wanted to be on this earth anymore. It was just kind of like I was sitting in a mental hospital and I was like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? I was required to do group therapy. And at this point, I was just like, I don't belong here. Like, I don't want to be here. I had kind of like that attitude of, ugh, I'm above this. And then I finally sat down in group therapy and hearing everyone's story and talk about like the things that they went through. And I was like, I'm not alone. Like, I have a full community here for me that I can like relate to and talk to and that I can not only help me, but help them as well. And my head coach at the time at Wichita State, his wife, her son had recently committed suicide and she came and saw me in the hospital and was just like, hey, like, I'm not here to tell you that you would disappoint anyone. I'm here to tell you that don't disappoint yourself. Like you're loved and you have to realize that you need to love yourself and that once you find that love within yourself that you, you're going to want to live again. And she just wished that her son felt that love for himself that he never found. So she really like spoke to me and I was like, oh my goodness, this is a sign because what is the coincidence of you losing someone not even six months later? And so it was like a really touching moment. So I was like, I need to just make that choice to live. Deja found strong support in her family and friends and rediscovered what it means to choose life. I chose to fight. And so finding that hope really put a fire under me. I was like, oh my gosh, I have this hope. So like I can achieve anything, even though I still have my bad days. And so now here I am today, still making my bed every morning like I was in the mental hospital, because if I didn't achieve anything today, at least I made my bed. And so I can go to bed feeling like successful and like I accomplished something. (laughs) Mrs. Young firmly believes that by sharing her story, Deja is helping others from going through what she did. I do think it's brave for her to put out her weaknesses, you know, in front of the world and out to the world. And I think it helps a lot of people. And I think that that's what she's trying to do because I think if more people would have been open about it when she was going through it, it would have helped her. And so she's trying to prevent people from going through what she was going through. And people don't, people just think about the glamour of being a college athlete and the great camaraderie with the teams and the coaches. And it's just not like that way, like that in every case. I wanted to understand what research was being done on mental health and sports, specifically as it relates to women. To summarize, 
I was disappointed by what I found. Here's Professor Purcell again. Most of the studies that have looked at mental health in sports so far have been focusing on professional team sports and they're dominated by um, male subjects. So the research that we have really tends to be focusing on men. There are fewer studies that are starting to look at are there gender differences or even more so just what's happening within women's sport. And I think we've we've got a long way to go to understand that so that we can then improve things for, for female athletes in particular. I asked her about the main mental health stressors of professional women athletes. What are the most common triggers? What we see is women typically in professional sports are paid way less than their male counterparts. So because of that, they have to uh, work and often study as well simply to make ends meet. So, so many female athletes are having to train, compete, but also work so they can pay the rent and just live a normal life. And what we see is athletes reporting that if you're spending all your time on your sport and then work, there's just no downtime. So they're mentally exhausted. And if you're just in this cycle of work and sport, you're not able to connect with your friends. You're not able Mm. to have a normal social life. And we know that social support is such a protective factor for mental health. So there's a lot going on there where female athletes say, one, I'm exhausted. Two, I have low self-esteem because I feel like I'm less than my male counterparts who are getting paid more than me. And female athletes also talk about feeling left behind, that I see my male counterparts buying homes and having a nice lifestyle and they don't see that they're able to get there if they're in this continuous cycle of earning a little bit and also having to play their sport. So that's, I think, a massive issue that we have to really start to grapple with. Deja's scare was just five short years ago. And in that time, she's turned her near-death experience into a way to advocate for others battling mental health issues. She offers this advice for anyone struggling. I would always say don't compare yourself to others and also give yourself a chance. Like, you're allowed to feel what you feel. Everyone's allowed to have their own emotions. You should be able to feel the exact same way and any moment in time and have that same support. Just because you feel like you have more or less than someone else doesn't mean you're less deserving. I think everyone, no, I don't think, I believe everyone deserves a chance in life. Like 100% deserves a chance in life and they deserve the support and love. Like I'm always saying to strangers like, hey, if you guys want to talk, I'm here, I'm available. My DMs are always open. I'll reply quickly, text me something because I don't want any, I don't want anyone to feel like they're alone. And so I'm always constantly beating that into people because it's like, hey, like you deserve to live. Your life is important. I hear you. I see you. You're not alone. It's another day. You're alive. You woke up. Smell at someone today, buy someone's coffee today, do something to make someone else's day because it's going to be paid forward anyway. So it's, I'm just doing it just to continue to shine hope onto others because I know there's hope shined onto me. And so continuing that pattern has really helped me like get through my tough days. Deja recovered from her depression by winning a gold medal at the Rio Games in 2016. She was just 19 years old. 
I won my first gold medal in crossing the finish line and seeing my mom was like the first thing that I wanted to see and like seeing her in the stands and seeing how happy she was. That was the first thing, like literally when I got done, I asked the reporters like, wait, I need to find my mom first. Like I don't want to talk to any of you, I want to find my mom. And I found my mom and like seeing her and hugging her was like the best like thing ever. And that was like my favorite thing to have her there to like witness my first Paralympic gold medal. Just imagining that moment gave me goosebumps. So I had to hear it from her mom's perspective too. When she crossed the finish line, I don't know why. I've never done this before because I'm not an emotional person. I just burst into tears. And I just don't know what came over me. And so like the day before, because we stayed at Copacabana, I think, yeah. And so there were big vegetables out there selling things. And I had bought this American flag. And so I took it with me. And so as soon as she went across the, the finish line, I just ran towards the finish line in the stands to give her her flag so that she could have her moment. And I just saw her searching for me and I'm yelling her name. And it, it was just an amazing moment. Nothing that I've ever experienced before and have since then. As she prepares for Tokyo, I wanted to ask Deja how she trains and if there's a different process with her shoulder. I don't care how elite I am. I will always hate push-ups. And it's so funny because my strength and conditioning coach is always putting push-ups in my program. I'm like, can you please stop putting push-ups in my program? But instead of doing push-ups, I'll do elevated push-ups because it's easier on my shoulder. I'll use a different squat rack or I'll use more bands than weights. I think that's been so much fun about being a non-traditional athlete is just doing things differently. And it, it's so much fun. But sometimes it's so hard because I feel like sometimes people forget that there's anything wrong like hey oh oh yeah I forgot you your shoulder and I'm like yeah don't forget like this this sucks sometimes but I think that's what made me makes me even more untraditional is that I like being treated as a traditional athlete like all of my teammates are the same way like my blind teammates and my amp teammates treat us like we're traditional athletes we're gonna work just as hard you're not gonna hurt our feelings I'm fine I'll manage I've been managing for 18 years the USOPC or Olympic and Paralympic Committee is dedicated to becoming the world leader in the Paralympic movement, in striving for equality among its athletes. But I wanted to know if they actually measure up. Here's Deja. Inclusion has been something that I felt like has lacked when it comes to the Paralympic and the Olympic movement. Everyone knows the Olympics. It comes every four years. But when it comes to Paralympics, it's kind of like, what is that? Or it's Special Olympics. I'm like, no, there's a difference. But it's such a tough thing. We are the stepchildren of like the like, Olympics because it's like even in the pay difference that we have, like we're getting medals and other things. And it's like there's this huge pay difference. And it's like we're doing the exact same thing. We're working hard 24-7 too, but we get paid differently than the Olympians. For my Paralympic medals, I think I got paid, I want to say, I think I paid $15,000 for two gold medals. One gold medal, I think at the Olympics was like almost 50 grand, maybe more. For one medal. So now, since the Games was supposed to be this year, but now the pay is completely even across the board. So Olympians and Paralympians get paid the exact same. And the USOPC made that possible. And that's the, like, that was a huge stepping stone for us. Like, huge. For us to be able to get paid. So it's it's insane. Like, I feel like the USOPC is moving in the right direction. Of course, it's going to take time to see change. But I've already seen some change. We're becoming this one community that everyone has to realize that, yes, we may be different and doing different 
ways of doing things, but at the same time, we have the same goal. And I think that's what the USOPC is really preaching and saying, like, hey, we all have this one big goal that we're trying to reach, and we're one big community. There shouldn't be any more, like, division and, like, Paralympics is this way and Olympics is this way. It should all just be one because it's such a huge event for everyone. Like, it's the pinnacle of our sport, so... I'd like to acknowledge and celebrate that NBC is covering the Paralympics during primetime this year for the first time ever. So this is definitely a massive step in the right direction. Given Deja's comments about the difference in Paralympic coverage, I asked Professor Purcell about inequities in professional sports and if they contribute to compromised mental well-being. Her short answer Absolutely. But once again, we're behind in the research. So if we're lagging behind on the mental health of female athletes, we're definitely lagging even further behind, unfortunately, on understanding uh, the mental health needs of para-athletes. Professor Purcell identifies a few important differences in risk factors between Olympians and Paralympians. There are some differences in risk factors um, that can contribute to mental um, ill health. And they're things like para-athletes are so subject still to discrimination in their day-to-day lives, and we know that that can compromise mental well-being. But they've also got other challenges, that there's a lack of disability-specific coaching, access to venues is problematic, travel is very expensive. So when you add on those additional layers, on top of what's already a very demanding high-performance sport, that's where I think we we can understand that para-athletes are going to have issues with their mental health. To summarize, from a mental health perspective, Deja had the deck stacked against her. As Deja sprints towards the future, gold medal in tow, she's learned so much and is bringing us along on her journey. She leaves us with this final advice. Silence is so dangerous these days. It's okay to speak out how you feel. It's okay, but your mental health is so important. It's just as important as your physical health. So if you're going to eat healthy, walk outside, take your dog for a walk, call your friends, check on them. Check on yourself, check out sometimes, put the phone down, unplug and relax and it'll be okay because at the end of the day, we're all in this together. We sure are. And even now, if she could do it all again, she wouldn't change a thing. I always think it's like, wow, what if I wasn't injured at birth? Would I be working a nine to five? Will I be in the Olympics? Like, what would I, like, what would I be doing? And so like, I say thank you to the doctor because I can't imagine where I'd be if he hadn't injured me at birth. Thanks for tuning in to Flame Bears, the women athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. For more behind-the-scenes coverage, follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Flame Bears. Please show us some love by leaving us a positive review. As we've grown in scale, We've picked up a few trolls, so any and all positivity is always appreciated. For those of you out there looking to support new athletes, check out Angel City Sports, founded by Ezra Freck and his family and friends. 
Angel City is really passionate about finding and supporting new athletes. Their Angel City Games, presented by the Hartford, is one of the largest events in the country and a great place for a new athlete to get started. Check them out at angelcitygames.org. If you haven't heard it yet, go back and check out Ray Basel's episode, where we discuss her being the first Arab female trap shooter and her road to Tokyo despite civil unrest in her country of Lebanon. We'll catch you on our next episode.